Uh, it's great to be with you and to be talking about uh, what I think is perhaps one of the, the most difficult and yet one of the most reasonable uh, objections to Christianity. Uh, I just want to be, begin by showing you this slide. Um, now I wonder if any of you know where that is. I visited this place uh, a couple of years ago in France. This is the, the French town of Oradour. Um, and it was used as part of a training exercise by the Nazis in World War II uh, in which they were told to surround the entire town uh, and to go in and to basically destroy it and wipe out every single person there. It was not a a rebel stronghold in France. Um, It was just a town full of innocent uh, civilians. And actually in that church there, that was the place where they gathered all the women and children uh, and they executed them. And you can go into the church. The French government have kept this town exactly as the Nazis left it. You can go in and look around. It's a very haunting place. You can go into the church and you can see the bullet holes in the church altar. You can see a memorial for World War I that's filled with bullet holes um, from where the SS soldiers executed and killed these women and children. And it's a very striking and powerful place to visit because for me, uh, as a Christian, the question that was going through my head as I walked through the streets of Oradour was why? Why would God allow that to happen? Because the God of the Bible, the God that I believe in, is both all-powerful and all-loving, and he allowed that event to happen. And it's absolutely shocking. Uh, And it's one tiny example in a world where this is prevalent everywhere, every day. We might not know the extent of evil that is happening in this world. Uh, But the big question, that question of why, that question of how could you believe in God, it takes on a new dimension if it's happening to you personally. And I'm sure there are many among us who have gone through such horrible times or are maybe still going through such horrible times. And we are wondering, why is God allowing this to happen to me? And it seems an even bigger problem, as selfish as it may sound, it seems like a bigger problem when you are in the thick of it and when you are experiencing the reality of evil and suffering. And it's not a problem just if you're a skeptic of Christianity or of religion. It's a huge problem for those of us here who would call ourselves Christians. And it's something that we do struggle with. And it's something that I struggle with. And let me say that tonight, as, as we look at this, we're not going to solve the problem. We're not going to solve this problem. That's not my aim. My aim this evening really is to, to show you and to argue that the Christian worldview is not only rationally and intellectually credible in a world of evil and suffering, but it is also, I believe, the only source of real, lasting, and true hope. Uh, A hope that is not like many other religions, which is just a form of of escaping this reality, but a hope that comes when we deal with this and confront it head on. And I hope that, that what I say will stimulate some questions. Really, the, the kind of important bit of this evening will be the question panel bit afterwards, where it's a chance for you to feed in uh, stuff that you are struggling with or questions that you, you have off the back of this. Uh, and I hope just really, as I speak, to kind of stimulate your mind and get you to think about uh, some of these questions, and we can discuss them later. Now, just before we examine this in detail, I want to begin with... Uh, a really a fundamental starting point, 
And it's this, the Bible has a lot to say on this issue. The Bible has a lot to say on the issue of evil and suffering. In fact, it's really hard, if you look through the Bible, in all its varied books, it's it's really hard to find a book in which this issue is not dealt with, in which we don't see evil and suffering. Uh, I would argue that there is no piece of literature in the history of mankind that deals with the issue of evil and suffering like the Bible does. Uh, And it says so often, you might be surprised, it says what, not what we think it would say. So it doesn't say, hey, don't worry about suffering because there's always heaven. It'll be okay. It's, It's it's profoundly realistic. It, it deals with the issues of evil and suffering in the realm of real human reactions to that. Let me just show you a handful of examples of where you see this in the Bible. This is from the first one from Psalm 13. We're going to be singing this uh, after I speak. Uh, the psalmist writes this. Uh, these are all Christians, by the way. Uh, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That was written by a man whom the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, a man who loved God and whom God loved uh, just as much. Job, um, the second one, he is known as a godly and righteous man, uh, an innocent man, and the whole book is dealing with the why question of suffering. 42 chapters of why has this happened to me. This is what Job says. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. It's from Job chapter 6. And this is a prophet in the Old Testament crying out for help. Uh, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. So I just want you to see that this is not, the Bible doesn't gloss over this issue. Um, It really does deal with it. It deals with it in the realm of of real human reactions. Uh, And we don't ever see the issue of evil or the issue of suffering. When you read the Bible, we never see it downplayed. In fact, it's almost magnified the, the horror of it, the, the complexity of it is magnified when you read the Bible. And you see these people crying out to God, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? And here's the thing, almost always on the back of those cries, God never ever tells them why. He never says why he does what he does, why he allows what he allows He hardly gives any answers to the why question of suffering. And that's going to be difficult for us tonight because the first question we ask when we're in the thick of suffering is why? And God doesn't give an answer. The Bible won't tell you that. The Bible will not tell you why you are suffering here tonight if you are suffering. But what God does say, what we do see, is an explanation of who he is. And in some sense, that is the bigger, that is the more important question to be asked. Not why do certain things happen, but who is this God who governs the world in such a way that there is evil and suffering? That's the bigger question. We might not think that, but that is the bigger question because how we answer that will radically alter how we approach this difficult subject. So to that end, there are just three truths that I want to very briefly touch upon that the Bible mentions about who God is. And these are the three truths which I believe are both rational 
and in some sense, satisfactory. Three truths that can give hope in the face of evil and suffering. Firstly, God is in control of evil and suffering. It's absolutely clear all throughout. God is in control. And this has to be said because this is difficult for us to get our heads around. So we tend to think that if God is all loving and all powerful, he would stop suffering because that's what we would do, wouldn't we? If we were in that position, we would not let 900 Haitians be killed by a storm. And so the struggle is, how do we balance the fact out then? If that's not how, how we would work things out, how do we balance out the fact that God is indeed loving, the source of all love and goodness, and all-powerful and sovereign? And by the way, that's, that tension is what's behind those previous quotes that I read in the Bible. That's what these people are struggling with. That's what they're crying out. Why, God, I know you're loving. I know you're sovereign. But why is this happening? Why are you doing this? How long are you going to keep silent on this issue? And we might tend to think, well, if he is all-powerful, he can't be loving because why would he let that happen? Or if he is all-loving, he can't be powerful because surely he would stop it. That's the two options we might go between. But the Bible's point is this. It's not those two options. It's that he is both loving and he is in control and he is using all evil and all suffering for an ultimate purpose. An ultimate purpose that is ultimately good that we cannot see. Now, instantly that will rail against many of us. But think about it. Just think about it. Just because we cannot see a reason to what God does, does not mean that there isn't one. We think that we have to know the reason in order for there to be a reason. But, but that's not true. In fact, we should almost expect not to understand what God is doing. We are small, we are finite, we are temporal human beings with a very limited scope and understanding of reality. We are not the eternal, unchangeable God who sees the beginning to the end. He's got a different frame of reference to us. You know, Apparently, if a, if a bear gets its foot trapped in a bear trap, the way that you have to, to release it is to push the trap further into the bear's leg to loosen the spring and then spring it back so that he can get out. Now, when you're doing that to a bear, they're not thinking, oh, this is a friendly human coming to help me. I'm so glad they're doing this. They'll be thinking, why is this person hurting me and causing me more pain? Because they've got, they've got a different frame of reference. They can't see the whole picture. They can't comprehend what it is that you are doing. And the God of the Bible is doing something in human history that we have to get into our heads. We are not going to comprehend because we are not God. And I know this presents loads of problems. And I know this presents loads of questions. But what I would ask you to really think about tonight is to think about the alternative what if God wasn't in control? Or just think about this. What if there was no God? How does that help with the problem of evil and suffering? You see, to default to a lack of belief in God does not in any way remove the problem of evil and suffering. I would argue it makes it infinitely worse. To have no God means that your suffering is pointless it means that evil is just a subjective thing. It's not a reality. It's not, it's not an objective truth. It's just a subjective thing. What's evil for someone might not be evil for someone else. 
It means that there is no rhyme. It means that there is no reason. In fact, suffering, if there is no God, suffering is just a part of the natural world. It's just normal. It's just nature. Naturalism, if you adopt a naturalistic view of the world, it denies you even the right to complain about evil and suffering because that's just normal. That's just the world that we live in. That's why the late atheist writer Christopher Hitchens says this, to the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the reply, why not? And he's not being pessimistic, he's just being logical with what he believes. But we know that that's not true. There's something in human beings that, that knows that this world is broken, that there is something wrong, there is something twisted, there's something not right about the reality of death, there's something not right about evil, there's something not right about suffering. I would argue that suffering evil, far from pointing us away from God, draw us closer to Him, point more towards Him than they do away from Him. God is there, and he is in control. We may not work out what he is doing, but the fact that we cannot make sense of something does not make it senseless. Now, it's not enough because many may not question whether or not God is there, but might be questioned whether or not God cares. That's where we get our second point. God has experienced evil and suffering. Like I said, the Bible is really the Christian worldview really approaches this issue in in such a a radical way that is unlike anything else. The God of the Bible is not some distant, far-off entity, but he is a God who broke into human history and came down as one of us in the person of Jesus Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. God breaking into human history as a human being. And as a human being, Jesus, therefore, experienced all the forms of suffering and evil that ails us, that we experience. This is a quote from an author called Dorothy Sayers. I've quoted it a few times, but it's a good quote. She says this, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrow and death, he had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and he is playing fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and even death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and he died in disgrace and he thought it well worthwhile. Now that really does change everything in our approach to God and suffering. Because God knows what we feel. God himself has been in these situations that we have been in. Jesus hurts and bleeds. I mean, we worship a crucified God. The, the cross, the very symbol of Christianity, is a symbol of, of torture and pain. And for me personally, as, as a Christian, I have been in situations where I've felt so lost and so hurt, and I've cried out to God in prayer, and I've not heard anything from him. I've been met with deafening silence and I felt what these quotes that I read earlier in the Bible feel like, that God is absent, that God doesn't care, that God is far. 
And it hurts, and you don't know why. But when I read the Bible, I see others going through the same. But not only that, I see the Son of God himself, the night before his crucifixion, crying out to God in agony and pain, sweating drops of blood, and crying out for any other way to save humanity than to go to the cross. And he doesn't get any reply. Just deafening silence. I see him weeping at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. I see him humiliated and hurt and alone. And it really is a radical idea that God himself has been there. Even this past week, I was reading, uh, I got pointed towards an essay by um, the the French philosopher, uh, Algerian philosopher, Albert Camus, entitled The Rebel. And Camus was not a Christian at the point that he wrote that essay. But it's really fascinating because he picks up on that unique aspect of Christianity. And he says that the two problems that Jesus came to solve Evil and death are the two problems that he experienced. And that is unlike any other religion. And that means, that means this, therefore, that the charge of God being unjust in suffering cannot stand because he himself has suffered. Nor can the charge of indifference stand because God used his own suffering to redeem mankind. And that's why Jesus suffered. That's why he came. He came to save us. And it's through his suffering on the cross that he dies for our sins and we are saved. And it re-emphasizes the first point of God being in control. Because the most wicked thing that's ever happened in human history was the crucifixion of Jesus, the Son of God. And if God could use that to bring about the greatest thing that's ever happened in human history, the salvation of mankind, then it means he can do it with all the other smaller acts of evil that we see happening in our world. And this leads really to a final point that we see of God in the Bible. God will end evil and suffering. Look, evil and suffering are a problem. This is why Jesus came. And it's a problem that that God does not ignore, but he himself has got his hands dirty to fix it. You see, the, the two things, evil and suffering, the two of them are linked together. The reason that there is suffering in the world It's because there is evil. And evil is not just something that we see out there beyond our borders. It's not just something uh, that we see uh, in kind of radical terrorist groups. But, But the essence of evil is inside every human being. And so therefore, for God to eradicate suffering, he would have to eradicate mankind. That means eradicating all of us to eradicate evil. And that's the conundrum that you see all throughout the Bible, that tension. How how can God destroy evil without destroying us? And the answer to that is the cross of Jesus. Jesus suffers for our wrongs so that we can be free from it. And the purpose of that was not just to make forgiveness possible for us, but to bring us back to God for all eternity, to restore the fractured relationship that exists between this world and exists between us and God, to restore it all back to Him, to what it's meant to be. Jesus died to bring us to a new creation, free from evil and suffering, where the Bible says death is no more and every tear is wiped away. And he can do that with us because he has removed all the sin that is within us. And so God's way of of kind of verifying that fact, that 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 has happened, was the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. That is the linchpin of all Christian hope. God's proof that there is something beyond death. 
Jesus rose from the dead, and so too shall we. And the concept of being with him in this new creation, as he call it, this restored humanity, this restored world, is not compensation for having a rubbish life now. That's not how the Bible speaks of the new creation. It's way more than that. The the whole storyline of the Bible is, is about this. It's restoration. It's God actively using everything that ails us now to heighten our our joy and our glory in the world to come. Let me just, uh, I'll tell you about a guy called um, Paul in the Bible. Um, He was a man who talked and told others about Jesus. He was an apostle. He suffered lots of things. Um, He went and tried to talk about Jesus to a group in in a town, uh, and they didn't like it, and so they dragged him outside, and they tried to stone him to death. Um, He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was alone. People abandoned him, people who he thought would be his friends and on his side, Uh, and basically, (laughs) this guy's life was marked out with, with pain and suffering, but he went round proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and he got 13 letters that he wrote in the Bible, uh, and he wrote this to a church that was kind of abandoning him because they thought he was weak and, uh, and poor and helpless, and they didn't like that. But he wrote this to this church about how this hope of this new creation, how this hope helped him to keep going. And he said this to them, we do not lose heart. He's talking about him and his fellow gospel workers. Through our, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self has been renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction... This is a man who got dragged outside and stoned almost to death uh, and who's experienced extreme suffering. This light and momentary affliction, he calls that, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen is, uh, is eternal. All that is happening to us now, God says, for all those who follow him, It has been used to contribute to the weight of joy and glory in the world to come. I'm finished. That's the three truths that we see of God in the Bible. It's a very broad overview of these kind of three truths. Truths which I believe are both rational and filled with hope in the light of evil and suffering. And I really want to focus on the question time now. I want to flesh these out. I want to deal with some of the questions that we can have off the back of this. Um, let me just say this, just to, just to close. You know, I struggle being a Christian often, um, various things, but often because of stuff that has happened to me. But I've never doubted Jesus. And I would doubt Jesus if what he said would happen didn't happen. So if he said to me, come and follow me, and your life will get easier, and things will go well, and you'll feel much better, and nothing, no trouble will hurt or ail you. If he said that to me, I'd be doubting him right now, because that's not the case. But Jesus never says that. Jesus is profoundly realistic. He says, follow me and be prepared. You're going to have to suffer. It's going to hurt. Be prepared to deal with the the realities of living in a broken world. He says that these are things that we will face. And even though I struggle with that, I know that he, when I look to him in the Bible, is, is profoundly realistic about it. And although he never tells us why, 
he does point us to who he is. And it's knowing him that gives us real and lasting hope.